Hi, this is Ken Miller, and I want to welcome you to week three of our study, What Kind of God? We're looking at the attributes of God, and the reason we're doing that is because we live in a time of uncertainty. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ and believers in God Almighty, need to have certitude about who He is. And so we, we're looking at the attributes of God, the character qualities, qualities of God. Week one, we did an introduction. Week two, we looked at His immutability, His unchanging nature. God never changes. Everything around us can change, but He doesn't. And this week, we're going to look at another one of those character qualities, and, and it's a particularly deep one. As a matter of fact, I feel like a second grader trying to teach on physics or nuclear fission. I'm way out of my league. I'm way in over my head. We're going to dive into the deep end of the pool today. And, and I want you to bear with me as we deal with this topic, because it's a significant one as it relates to the, the current circumstances you and I are going through. I want to share with you a couple of quotes I ran across this week. This first one is by a theoretical physicist. So this guy's sharp. He's, he's, he's a lot sharper than I am. Listen to what he says. I have approximate answers and possible beliefs and different degrees of uncertainty about different things, but I am not absolutely sure of anything. And there are many things I don't know anything about. Now that's a, that's a very honest admission on this guy's part as a scientist to admit that there are many things I don't know anything about. And if we're all honest, we could all say the same things. We've got different degrees of uncertainty about so many things, even as believers in Jesus Christ. Well, I ran across another one, and this is by Dexter Palmer, who I know nothing about. But in his book, The Dream of Perpetual Motion, he says this, I truly do not know. And that unnameable feeling that comes with not, with not knowing it must be worse than grief. It must. Now, I don't know if he had never experienced grief, but he's basically comparing not knowing with grief. And at least his idea is that it's worse. Not knowing, the uncertainty of not knowing is tantamount to grief, according to Dexter Palmer. Well, I also ran across an op-ed piece in the New York Times that I found fascinating. Um, number one, because it's so brutally honest in its admission, and the fact that it was in the New York Times of all places. And I want to read you just a, a portion of what he says. It's titled, When Will Life Be Normal Again? We Just Don't Know. Here's how he starts the article. This is Charlie Warzel. Many Americans have been living under lockdown for a month or more. We're all getting antsy. The pre president is talking about a, quote, light at the end of the tunnel, end quote. People are looking for hope and reasons to plan a return for, to something, anything, approximating normalcy. Experts are starting, <clears throat> excuse me, experts are starting to speculate on what lifting restrictions will look like. Despite the relentless heroic work of doctors and scientists around the world, there's so much we don't know. Then he goes on. We don't know how many people have been infected with COVID-19. We don't know the full range of the symptoms. We don't always know why some infections develop into severe diseases. We don't know the full range of risk factors. We don't know exactly how deadly the disease is. We don't have answers to more detailed questions about how the virus spreads. We don't know for sure how this coronavirus first emerged. We don't know what percentage of adults are asymptomatic. We don't know for certain if the virus will subside as the Northern Hemisphere enters the warmer months of spring and summer. We don't know the strength and duration of immunity. 
We don't know. We don't yet know why some who've been diagnosed as fully recovered from the virus have tested positive a second time after leaving quarantine. And then he goes on and on and on. And 45 times he admits, we don't know. But here's how he ends this article. Listen to his words carefully. We don't know whether the economy will bounce back or whether it'll be a long recession we, or whether it'll be a Great Depression or whether it'll be a greater depression than the original depression. We don't know when we might be able to return to a new normal. We don't know when any of this will end for good. See, what's amazing about this article to me is that, A, it's in the New York Times, and that, B, it's so brutally honest about what we don't know. We just don't know, Charlie Warzel says. But see, here's what's amazing. Our God does. Our God is fully aware of all things. All of those questions, all those uh, uncertainties, those doubts that Charlie Warzel expressed in his article, God has answers to because God knows. Isaiah 147 verse 5 says, How great is our Lord! His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. See, God knows and understands all things, and it's beyond our ability as mere human beings to understand. We just can't grasp it. We can't fathom it. We can't understand what God understands. In 1 John 3.20, the, the Apostle John writes this, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. This is written in the context of, of when our heart convicts us. And, and he says, God is greater than our heart. He knows things our heart doesn't know about us. He knows everything. And this was meant to encourage, not discourage. God knows everything about you and everything about me. And Job, it says, him, God, is perfect in knowledge. It's complete, it's whole, it's perfect. There's no gaps in his knowledge. And he tells Isaiah, the prophet, God speaks and says, I will tell you the future before it happens. See, our God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's able to look into the future and even see things that have not yet happened. And here's one that ought to hit home to every one of us. In Psalm chapter 139, verse 4, David says, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Now, I don't know about you, but that sentiment is it's pretty um, concerning if it's true, and I believe it is, that God knows what I'm going to say even before I say it. That's how great and perfect and complete his knowledge is. You see, he knows. He's all-knowing. He is our all-knowing, all-seeing God. He's omniscient. That's the the doctrinal word we're looking at today. And, and so we just have to unpack it and see what it means. And it comes from two words, omni mean, meaning all. And then the second half of the word has to do with science or knowledge. He's He has all knowledge about all things. Wayne Grudem says this, omniscience means that God fully knows himself, all things about himself, and all things both actual and possible in one simple eternal act. Now that's that's theologian speak, but basically what Wayne is saying is that our God, his knowledge is complete. He knows everything about himself in his deity, but he also knows everything about everything else, both actual and possible. And we'll under, understand that a little bit more as we dig into it. 
But, but let me ask you, do you know everything about you? Do, do you know all of your flaws? Do you know exactly what kind of health you have? Do you know your future? Do you remember all of your past? See, we don't, but God does. God knows himself completely and fully, and he knows everything both actual and possible in one simple eternal act. And we'll understand that more as we dig in as well, because God is not bound by time and space. He's eternal. And so his understanding is eternal. Tony Evans, in his book on theology, says God's omniscience refers to his perfect knowledge of all things, both actual and potential. Now, stop and think about what Dr. Evans is saying here. His knowledge is perfect according to both actual and potential things. See, God knows what's happened in the past. He knows what's happening now, but he also knows what's happening in the future and things that could have taken place, but didn't. God knows how things would have turned out had they gone a different direction. That's how great his knowledge is. You ever played the what if game? What if I had married this person rather than this person? How could my life have turned out? What if I'd taken on this career rather than this career? What if I'd moved to this community rather than this community? See, we can play that game, but we don't know the answer. God does. That's how great his knowledge is. He knows even the potential of the what-ifs of life. He knows how things could have turned out. And why? Because God's knowledge is perfect or complete. That just simply means there's no gaps in his knowledge. There's nothing he doesn't know. It's comprehensive in its nature. It covers everything. There are things I know nothing about. I know nothing about physics. I know very little about math. I, I know enough about theology to get myself in trouble. But there is so much I don't know. My knowledge is far from comprehensive, but God's is. And it's, as I said earlier, unconstrained by space or time. God is not stuck in a time zone. God is not stuck in, in this realm in which we live. See, I can't see the future, and I have a difficult time remembering the past, but God stands outside of time. It's all the same to him, past, present, future. He's able to see all things at the same time in perfect perfection. And it includes the moral and the natural realm. What do I mean by that? Well, it, it means that God sees the universe. Uh, when, a, when a star burns out, God sees it and knows about it before it even happens. When, when a sparrow falls to the ground, Scripture tells us God knows about it. And yet he also knows what's going on in my inner dimension, in my heart. And we'll see that as we look at Psalm 139 more closely in just a minute. See, God knows everything. That's the kind of God you and I worship. That's the kind of God we believe in. He knows everything about everything. Nothing escapes his knowledge. Now, I love this passage in, passage in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 14. It's full of rhetorical questions that all have the same answer. So let's look at it. It says, who else knows the way to the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Now, science can give us a relative idea of how much the earth may weigh, but they don't know for sure. They can do calculations, but their calculations are not accurate and they're not precise. So even they don't know the weight of the earth, the weights of the mountains and the hills. 
It goes on and says, who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Now we try, we love to give God advice, but he doesn't need it. Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? See, these are all rhetorical questions that have the same answer. And the answer is no one. No one knows any of these things. No one gives God advice. No one has instructed God. God already knows. He needs no instructors. He needs no one to inform him of anything. God doesn't need me to tell him how I'm doing. He already knows. And this is pretty important when we think about our prayer lives because we spend a great deal of our prayer time telling God things we think he needs to know. God, I'm, I'm having a difficult time at work right now. God, my wife and I are, are not getting along. God, I've got a child in rebellion. Uh, Lord, I, I've just gotten a diagnosis from the doctor that I have cancer. I've got COVID-19. We, we inform God of things he already knows about. Now, I'm not telling you not to tell God things. I'm telling you that God already knows, and you can come before him with the peace and understanding that he knows. And that you don't, don't, don't need to spend all your time telling him things he knows, but just expressing your heart, your need, your desire. We also don't need to waste a lot of time telling God about all of our sins because he knows them. Yes, we're told to confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins, but confession really is just you agreeing with what God's just convicted you of. He doesn't need to know all the details. It's you just saying, Lord, you're right. I was wrong. And I want to agree with you on that. See, God needs no instructions. He needs no new information from you or anyone else. We don't need to tell God what's going on in the universe because God already knows. And here's an incredible thing about God is he never forgets anything. I forget things all the time. I, I'm going to turn 65 in a few days, and I, I, I'm blown away with all that I've forgotten, things that I can't remember, names, numbers, even events in the past. But see, God never forgets anything. And you may say, well, the Bible says God forgets our sins, but really, in a sense, God never forgets our sins, but he doesn't count them against us. See, God can't forget anything. And the other amazing thing about our God is that he knows what has yet to happen. God knows the future. God knows the outcome of all events. And yet, in spite of all of these things, we constantly question his knowledge. Now, you may ask, how do we do that? I don't know that I've ever questioned God's knowledge, but we do. How do we do that? Well, let's take a look at some Old Testament passages, because this is not a New Testament, 21st century thing. This is something that the people of God have been doing for centuries. Psalm 13, 1 says, O oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? See, this is it's really an indictment on God's knowledge that, do you not know what's going on? Are you totally unaware of my predicament, my circumstances, just how bad things are? See, when, when you accuse God of forgetfulness, you're basically saying his knowledge is diminished in some capacity. He's forgotten his promises to you. He's forgotten about you. And yet he hasn't. In Psalm 22, 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why are you so, so far away when I groan for your help? See, that's again a, a, an indictment on God's knowledge. 
you're not paying attention. You don't know my circumstances. You're not aware of what's going on in my life. How long? Why? When? See, in Psalm 73, 11, it gets even worse because the longer you question God and his knowledge, it'll lead to this kind of thought. What does God know? Does the Most High even know what's happening? See, you'll go from just doubting God's knowledge to questioning it, actually holding it in derision. Does God even know what's going on? Obviously, he doesn't because he's not doing anything about it. And you could apply that to your own personal life or to what's going on in the world today. And in Job 22, 13 through 14, it says, God can't see what I'm doing. How can he judge through the thick darkness? For thick clouds swirl about him and he cannot see us. He is way up there walking on the vault of heaven. See, this is a deistic view of God. God is that distant deity who's way up in heaven and he can't really see what's going on. And so he's got a gap in his knowledge base. He can't see. So if he can't see, he can't know. He's unaware of all that's taking place. Does the Most High God see? Well, if you're not careful, if you let circumstances dictate your view of God, you will come to the conclusion that God can't see. And yet 1 Samuel 2.3 says that God is the God of knowledge. He doesn't just have knowledge. He is knowledge. It's part of his persona. It's who he, who he is. He is all knowledge. He knows all things. And that understanding, that knowledge is beyond our comprehension. We can't understand what God understands. We can't comprehend all that God knows because it is so unlike us. We have gaps in our knowledge. We have so many things we don't know about. As that article said, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. But see, God does know. There's no detail, not a single detail that escapes his all-encompassing knowledge. And that should bring you and I comfort. But in order for it to bring us comfort, we have to know it, believe it, and rest in it. So what I want to do is take a few minutes to look at Psalm 139. This is a psalm written by David, as it says here in the introduction. And it's amazing what David says in this psalm. We're going to look at the first six verses uh, pretty closely. And he's going to express his understanding of who God is and how that impacts him as a child of God. He opens it up and says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You have looked into me closely. You have investigated my life and you have known me. And he's going to go on and talk about all that God knows about him. And he is perfectly at peace with that knowledge. You have known me. As a matter of fact, in verse 15, it says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. This is David expressing just how much God knows about him. Even before, before David was uh, conceived and born, God knew everything about him. He knew his unformed substance. And he says, you've known me and you have searched me. And there's nothing that God didn't know about David. His past, his present, and his future. Now, when you think about that, does it bring you comfort or does it concern you? That God knows everything about you. 
every thought, every wrong motive, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, he knows it all. David was comforted by that fact. But oftentimes you and I get distressed with the idea that God might know. That's why we don't confess our sins. We think we can hide things from God. We think we can keep things secret from God. But according to every passage we've looked at, God already knows. And it should bring us peace, not cause us anxiety. See, for me, if God didn't know, that would be anxiety-producing. But my God does know. He knows what's going on outside of me and inside of me. And yet he still loves me. Nothing surprises him. See, there are things that you and I want God to know. And and most of this gets reflected in our prayer lives. We want him to know about our pain, about our suffering, our sorrow, our circumstances. We want to tell him all of our needs and all of our desires. We want to tell him what we want him to know. But God already knows. But there are also things that we don't want God to know. We don't want God to know our thought life, our sins, our weaknesses, our failures. But see, God already knows every single one of them. He knew them before you were born. He knows them before you even commit them, before you're even guilty of them. God knows, and yet he still loves you. And in verse 2, David goes on, he says, God, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. That, that's an amazing statement. God knows when David sits down to eat, sits down to read a book, sits down to um, do a job as king, sits down to shepherd the sheep, but he also knows when I rise up. You know. You know everything about me. And it, his knowledge of David included every action David did from the minuscule and the mundane to the great and the important things of his life, even before he committed them, even, even before he turned them into action. You see, God just isn't just insightful. He just, he, it's not that he's just able to look into your life and see things and comprehend things. He has foresight. He's able to look ahead and know them because he's prescient. What does that mean? Prescience is just the idea of having a knowledge of things or events before they exist or happen. You and I are not prescient. We don't have that ability. That is unique to God, that he's able to know things. He's able to see and be aware of events before they exist or happen. And David found comfort in that fact. In verse 3, he says, You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. See, this idea of, a, of being acquainted with is significant because God knows you deeply and intimately. See, that word in the Hebrew means intimate knowledge or familiarity. You know, there are people I know who I don't really know. Uh, I have a... a a very shallow understanding or relationship with them. Um, I know their name. I know their face. I can greet them when I see them, but, but I don't have an intimate knowledge of who they are. I don't have a deep familiarity with them. But see, God knows more about David than David knows about David. There are things about David's life that are blind to him, that he's unaware of. There's things that he's done that he's forgotten about. There are sins he's going to commit that he's completely unaware of, but God knows every one of them. 
And they predate David's conception and birth, just as they do our life. See, David goes on in verse 6 and says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high I cannot attain it. It's incredible. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's, it's amazing. I can't even get my head around this knowledge of the knowledge of God. He's not scared by it. He's not intimidated by it. He's comforted by it. He finds joy in knowing that God knows. It's all too wonderful for David. Now, verse 4 is going to take us to a place that we all find a little discomforting, a, l- a little bit scary. Listen to what David says. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. What's David saying? God knows David's thought life before that thought life gets verbalized or acted upon. See, God knows what we're going to say before we say it. That's an amazing uh, statement about God, that his knowledge is so great that he knows what I'm going to say before I even say it. Now, my wife and I have been married for 40 years, and and we finish one another's sentences. We we kind of know what we're, we're thinking. We, we know each other so well, but it's nothing like what God knows. That God knows what I'm thinking before I even have the time to express it. He knows my thoughts, my good thoughts, my bad thoughts, my wicked thoughts, my righteous thought. He knows every one of my thoughts. And guess what? He's not ignorant until I either say it or inform him about it. Once again, you going to God in prayer and confessing your sins is not informing him of something he doesn't know. It's agreeing with what he does know and that which he's convicted you of. God knows everything. He already knows, David says. And again, in verse 17, he expresses how that impacts him. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. See, what's amazing about God is that God knows the number of pebbles of sand on every seashore on this planet. But God, David says, Your thoughts are so incredible that even if I could count them, they're more than the sand. They're beyond my capacity to calculate. See, I want to get to where David is. I want to get to the point where his God's thoughts, his knowledge of me, his vast knowledge of all things is precious to me and not scary to me. It's not repulsive, but it's attractive to me that my God knows me that well. You see, God's knowledge is intuitive. That simply means it requires no reasoning or deciphering. For me to have knowledge, I, I have to, to read a book. I have to um, watch a video, go to a seminar. I have to input knowledge so that my knowledge might grow. But see, God's knowledge is just part of who he is. When it says that God knows the numbers of the hairs on my head, he doesn't have to count them. Um, God knows how many stars there are in the universe and and the name that he gave to every one of them. And he doesn't have to go count them to find out how many. It's all intuitive to God. And as we said earlier, it's comprehensive. There's no gaps in his knowledge. It's personal. It includes the smallest detail of my life and your life. It's intimate. 
It's not just this knowledge about vast and great and mighty things that we can't comprehend. It reaches into the inner recesses of my life and your life and becomes incredibly personal and intimate. And here's something that's so important for us to comprehend, that his knowledge is purposeful. He, what he knows is linked to what he purposes. It all has an objective. It all has a reason behind it. There's a goal to God's knowledge. It's not that he just knows to know, but there's a plan in place that God is bringing about. See, Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. David was blown away by that. I should be blown away by that. You should be blown away by that, that God's thoughts are nothing like yours. His ways are nothing like your ways. See, if you think about it, God had a plan for Jesus Christ. That plan included that he come to earth, take on the form of a human being, and that he live a sinless life, and that at the end of that sinless life, he be crucified on a cross to pay for the sins of mankind. And Acts chapter 2, verse 23 says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God to die on a cross for the sins of mankind. This Jesus, who was accomplishing the will of God, died for you and me. And it was all part of God's knowledge, God's plan. It had a purpose. And we look at this and we think, why would God send his own son to die for sinful men? Why would God allow his son to be crucified on a cruel Roman cross? Because God knew what was best. God knew what had to happen. And his son, knowing that he could trust his father and knowing that his father's plan was completely righteous and just, fulfilled that plan and died the death that you and I deserve to die. I love the way the New Living Translation translates that verse. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. God knew because he knows. God knew because he's able to look into the future. God knew because he had preordained it. He, or he had foreordained this to happen. He prearranged for that plan to be carried out. Why? Because his knowledge is purposeful. A.W. Tozier says this in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. How unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our character can come to light to turn God away from us. Since he knew us utterly before we knew him, and called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Do you understand what he's saying here? That's a lot of words, and they're very, very deep in, in terms of their meaning, but he's telling you and I that our God and his knowledge of us, which is all comprehensive and complete and perfect in every detail, that knowledge that knows everything about us, is never surprised by anything that happens to us or by anything that we do. There's no closet containing a skeleton that's going to fall out and God go, oh my gosh, where did that come from? There's no weakness in our character that's going to get exposed 
and God suddenly change his mind about us. There's no act that you and I can commit that's going to cause God to fall out of love with us. I remember years ago, somebody told me the phrase, and it's, it's stuck with me over the years, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more, and there's nothing I will ever do that will make him love me less, because he already knows. And that should bring us so much peace. See, in verse 23, David wraps up this psalm, and listen to what he says. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, know me. Now, you ought to stop and think and and remember what he said when he started this whole thing, chapter 139 of Psalms. He says, search me, know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts. And yet, what did he say at the very beginning? Oh, Lord, you have searched me. You have known me, past tense. See, God has already searched him. He's already known him. He knows everything about him. He knows when he rises up and he knows when he lies down. He knows his thoughts. He knows what he's going to say before he says it. He knows everything about him. And yet he says, search me. God ever already knew all there was to know about David. So why in verse one does he say one thing? You have already known me and searched me. And then in verse 23, he asks him to. Know me, search me, try me. See, I think it's because this request in verse 23 was for David's benefit, not not God's. David was wanting to know what God knew. It was David who needed to be informed, not God. See, in verse 1, he expresses what he knows about God. Now in verse 23, he's saying, I want to know all that you know about me. I want to know what you know about me. Now, this prayer in verse 23 is probably one of the scariest prayers you and I can pray because our God is all-knowing when we say, search me and know me, try me, show me. We're saying, God, I want to know what you know about me. I want to know every detail. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me know the things you know. Let me know the secrets of my heart that I'm unaware of and show them to me so that I can be aware and then be led by you in the way everlasting. See, that's a scary prayer to pray. When he says, I want to see, I want to see what you see. It, It literally means in the Hebrew to cause to see, show to me, reveal to me what you already know about me. Now, why is that important? In the New Living Translation, it says, point out anything in me that offends you. Why is that important? Because there are so many things in my life that I'm oblivious to that offend God. The things I say, the things I do, the habits I've developed, the the TV shows I watch, the, the magazines I may look at, the thoughts that go through my mind, point them out to me. You're already aware of them. You know them before I even commit them. So show them to me, reveal them to me. What's truly incredible about our God is that he knows us better than we know ourselves. Why? Because he's omniscient. He's all-knowing and he knows my heart and your heart. And here's why that's so incredibly important. 
Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And again, that's a rhetorical question. Nobody except God. I don't know my heart. I sometimes think I do, but even my heart can deceive me. My, my inner motivations can deceive me into thinking that I'm better than I am, that I'm someone different than I am. But see, God knows me. And unless I know what God knows about me, I will remain blind to what really needs to change about me. The very next verse, verse 10 of chapter 17 of Jeremiah says, But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. You see, God already knows. God has already searched. He's already examined. He already knows the secret motives of my heart. And what David is asking in Psalm 139, verse 23, and what Jeremiah is expressing here in chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, is that we should want to know what God knows. Because God is the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate judge of our lives not us. And so we should want to know, and we should want to be led by God. Proverbs 19.2 says, it's dangerous to have zeal without knowledge. You can be zealous for God. You can be uh, desirous to do great things for God, but you need to know what God knows about you in particular, because your desire can be dangerous if it's lacking knowledge. I love what Thomas Watson, the Puritan writer, says, Ignorance is the nursemaid of impiety. What you don't know is going to lead to things that you don't want to do and that bring not joy to God, but grief to God. See, knowledge carries the torch before faith. But it's not just you knowing things about God, knowing things about the scriptures. It's knowing what God knows about you. It's knowing what God knows about himself. That's why this study on the attributes of God is so important. So let me ask these questions of you before we wrap it up. How well do you know the one who knows all? How well do you know your God? How much do you rest in that knowledge about God? See, you and I should find rest, peace, joy, comfort in this incredible doctrine of God's omniscience. But does it delight you or disturb you? Does it bring you peace or does it bring you anxiety? It's my prayer, my hope, my desire that this new information possibly on the omniscience of God will drive you closer and closer to the one who knows you so well and loves you so much. I'll close with this quote from A.W. Tozier. Is your blood pressure running high? Are you worried? Maybe you don't know what to do and you think nobody else knows. Well, I have good news for you. He that is perfect in knowledge is with you and he knows. If you trust him, he'll bring you out all right. He is perfect in knowledge and will lead you through. And when you come out, you will know that everything God did was right. See, what A.W. Tozer wants you and I to know is that there's no reason for your blood pressure to be high. There's no reason for you to be worrying about COVID-19. There's no reason for you to be panicked about what's going to happen. All those we don't knows that Charles Warzel said in his article, we don't need to worry about because our God does know. And when you come out, you will know that everything God did was right. 
So here's your discussion questions for this week. Consider and discuss the following quote. Viewing ourselves as under the eye of God's omniscience would cause reverence in the worship of God. Is that true? With what you've just learned about the omniscience of God, is that going to cause you reverence in your worship of God? I hope so. That's the goal. That's the objective. That's why we study these doctrines. That's why God has revealed all these details about his omniscience to us. Secondly, why should an understanding of God's perfect knowledge calm our hearts and encourage us to trust him? What is it about his omniscience, his knowledge of all things, that should bring us encouragement and calm to our hearts, even in the midst of the current circumstances in which we live? Well, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share this amazing doctrine with those who are watching. And I pray that you would take this and you would apply it to their lives and that your Holy Spirit would open their eyes to see what it is you want them to see about you. And that they, like David, would be willing to pray, search me and know me, try me, and let me see, reveal to me anything about my life that is grievous, that is uh, concerning to you. Lord, that we might know what you know about us. And that we might find joy in the fact that you know all things about us, about the universe, about COVID-19, about what's going to happen in the days, the weeks, the months ahead, because you are an all-knowing God and you are an all-loving God, as we'll see in the weeks ahead. We love you. We praise you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching this video. And I hope if you haven't watched the previous two, you'll go back and do so. And I ask that God bless you with the knowledge of his omniscience. Amen.